Welcome back to the Highway to Health Podcast, and thanks for connecting with us again on Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be joined by Dr. Clayton Cole, who is on staff at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Dr. Cole will be discussing sleep disorders with a focus on treatments for sleep apnea. Dave Nemo will be your host for this edition of the Highway to Health Podcast. And now let's hand it off to Dave for his feature interview with Dr. Clayton Cole. This morning, we're going to talk about something that I don't know if it's plaguing the industry, but boy, it made a lot of headlines again about 20, 30 years ago. We started to talk about sleep deprivation, bad sleep habits, sleep hygiene, and then sleep apnea just floated right up to the top of that list, and it's still with us, and of course, it is a real problem. I have sleep apnea. I use a CPAP with the mask and all of that, and I love it. A lot of folks can't get around that. There are different ways to overcome sleep apnea. They have the implants and things like that. But you got to find a way to make it work for you because it's very important. And Dr. Cole, good morning. Good morning. As I mentioned, and any regular listeners know that you do haul mail and you do a lot of vacation relief and Christmas relief and things like that. And I asked, hey, have you been driving lately? And you said, yeah, about three weeks ago. Tell us what you were up yeah, to. Yeah, well, I mean, during the summertime of year, sometimes there'll be drivers that are attending whatever, a family reunion or whatever, and they need to take the day off. It's typically a Saturday because obviously I'm in clinic seeing patients Monday through Friday. But on those Saturdays, I'll come pick up a run just so I can remember what end the truck goes forward. Remember how to do my pre-trip and all that jazz. So it's a lot of fun to do it. And of course, I don't have to do that for a living, but it is a reminder that you do have to be on your A game every minute when you're operating those vehicles. It's good to get back and do it periodically, but lots of respect for all the drivers out there that do it every day, day in and day out, and do it safely. Yeah, because when you get behind the wheel of that truck, you're not a doctor driving a truck. You're a truck driver who happens to be a doctor. Exactly. I mean, things can go sour very quickly. I know even the Saturday that I drove, there was a thunderstorm coming through, and somehow four-wheelers feel that they can just stop under a bridge overpass right in the middle of the freeway, and that would be a good idea. If you're dealing with stopping a mass coming down the road that you're driving, sometimes people don't use a lot of common sense, all in the name of, oh, I don't want to get my car hit with hail, and suddenly there's 30 cars <laughs> crammed under an overpass. Gee whiz, yeah. Did that happen to you on this last trip? Yeah. yeah, and you just have to keep slowly working your way through it, and hopefully they don't just crawl to an absolute stop. Which is a great segue into saying, so you got to be well-rested and you got to be very alert. So let's go talk about what makes drivers sleepy and then, yes, potentially dangerous. That's a big order, isn't it? Right. Well, I mean, as you mentioned in the intro, talking about sleep-related disordered breathing, sleep apnea is one of those that is probably more common than we think. For the individual driver, most of us are thinking, well, it's not me, it's some other one, particularly if you're not necessarily a quote-unquote poster child for obstructive sleep apnea, which is typically it's someone with that has loud snoring, has a large, as we call it, body mass index, so is heavier. Sleep apnea doesn't necessarily align to that individual body type. There can be relatively thin individuals that can also get it based upon sort of the anatomy of the upper airway. 
So these would be things like a short jaw, we call it a retronathic jaw, or a sort of floppy palate. So the palate is kind of the soft tissue on the upper part of your mouth and throat. And if that ends up being sort of floppy, for lack of a better term, that can also sort of collapse while you get into deep restorative sleep, or at least try to get into deep restorative sleep, which then can result in sleep apnea. You can't judge a book by its cover, can you? You can take a very thin guy who snores like a horse and then a real heavy guy who doesn't, and one will have it and one won't, or they might both have it. So there's no, as you mentioned, the poster child for sleep apnea is kind of like that guy, but then wait a minute, there's all of these other guys that kind of fit into it. Right. Well, just so you mentioned, it kind of came up about 20 years ago, and indeed, I think it was around 2002, there was a study, a report presented to the Department of Transportation and the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, basically estimating that about 28% of commercial truck drivers have mild to severe sleep apnea. That's about a third of all drivers, and it might be, most of those might be mild, but there certainly are a proportion out there that have severe sleep apnea. First of all, what is sleep apnea? What's an apnea? And basically, an apnea, think of it as a stop breathing episode. They can last 10 seconds or more. And obviously, the individual with an apnea is the last to know. Usually, it's a bed partner or if they're driving with a partner in the truck, long haul, The partner usually knows. There are a number of risk factors. One of them is to have a family history of sleep apnea. We mentioned having a small upper airway with kind of a floppy palate. We've talked a little bit about being overweight certainly increases the risk for it, but that's not the only risk factor. We talked a little bit about becoming a recessed jaw, kind of a shorter jaw, just the way the good Lord made up your body, your face. And some people have the Jay Leno jaw and chin, and others have shorter chins. It's just the way we're all made up. But if you have a shorter one, it's more likely that airflow can get blocked. There's also risk factors. Smoking and alcohol use have been shown to have an increased risk factor, not necessarily cause sleep apnea, but individuals who tend to smoke and drink more tend to be more associated with having it. And then the older you are, the more likely you are to have it as well, in particular once you cross the age 40 bright line, so to speak. And then people often ask me, Doc, what are the symptoms of sleep apnea? And the most common one, of course, is loud snoring. But just because you have snoring doesn't necessarily mean you have sleep apnea. So probably one in nine in particular men, have snoring, but not necessarily one in nine have sleep apnea. It's a little less common. And then certainly if you wake up and you feel unrested or have morning headaches or even a little bit of nausea, that can certainly be associated with sleep apnea. Excessive daytime sleepiness, of course, is a result of that. So if you're not getting into deep restorative sleep because of these apneas, and the way it sort of works is as you sleep at night, you start into what's called stage one and two sleep, which is kind of like taking a cat nap on a subway or whatever. And then stage three and four sleep is more the deep restorative sleep in there is about every two to three hours is what's called REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep. And that's a lot of times associated with when you have dreams. The problem is, is when you get into that very deep restorative sleep, for all intents and purposes, your body totally relaxes and it's almost like you're paralyzed with the exception of your diaphragms, the domed muscle under your lungs, 
and those rapid eye movements. So what ends up happening is if you have sleep apnea, the airway sort of closes and you have this little sort of thermostat for carbon dioxide in the back of your brain called the medulla. Just like your thermostat on your furnace at home, instead of temperature, it reads carbon dioxide. As you stop breathing, your carbon dioxide level goes up, your oxygen level goes down, and all of a sudden that medulla says, you know, I really should probably breathe here. So it kind of then over-breathes for you, and you kind of get that... So this happens all night long. So it's like having someone sort of waking you up all night. So even if you don't realize that you're not getting into deep restorative sleep, it's sort of like taking a cat nap. You're chronically sleep deprived. Those are some of the risk factors that the idea of disturbed sleep, and it's already bad enough in the driving industry because of unpredictable times. Even though people aren't necessarily on shifts, particularly long-haul drivers, there's always something that comes up. Someone isn't there to accept the delivery at a gate somewhere, or there's construction or weather or whatever. We're constantly up against that unpredictability in schedules, which for someone with sleep apnea makes it even more challenging. I'm going to go way off the deep end here, so pull me out. You hear about people just peacefully dying in their sleep. Do we know if any or how much of that is sleep apnea? Can sleep apnea kill you? Well, the good news is is that because of that medulla, because if it's working correctly, you typically wouldn't just die in your sleep. And apnea, your body has a protective mechanism for allowing you to breathe. Once you get to a certain carbon dioxide level, it senses that you need to breathe. So it's unlikely that you would, quote unquote, die in your sleep from sleep apnea. However, What happens over time is there's a lot of downstream effects. So, for example, in individuals with severe sleep apnea, it can affect their heart in the sense of there are blood vessels that bring blood low in oxygen from the right side of the heart up into the lungs to get oxygen, referred to as the pulmonary arteries. And you can get kind of a column of back pressure on those vessels referred to as pulmonary artery hypertension. And hypertension, I think most people know that's high blood pressure, but I'm talking about just specifically to those vessels. And that can cause a lot of issues with dysfunction of the heart and shortness of breath. An interesting statistic that we often see is that half of people with difficult-to-treat high blood pressure have sleep apnea, and half of people with sleep apnea have difficult-to-treat high blood pressure and maybe don't even know it. In an individual with difficult-to-treat high blood pressure, maybe they're on two, three, four different blood pressure-lowering medications or they're always seemingly having trouble with high blood pressure, that can result in things downstream, so to speak, like atrial fibrillation, different abnormal rhythms of the Mm -hmm. heart and Mm -hmm. things like that. So that's where the concern comes in. The treatment is relatively simple. But as you said, you tend to either love it or you hate it. It's kind of a bimodal (laughs) distribution, meaning it either works or it doesn't. What is CPAP? Well, CPAP stands for Continuous Positive Airway Pressure, and it's basically like a pneumatic, like an air-filled splint. So it just kind of props the back of your throat open using air while you sleep at night. It has a certain set pressure, 
you put it on. Now, the good news is, much like computers, they used to fill a room and there was one size fits all. Now, there's a plethora of different masks that can be used. There's nasal pillows and full masks and half masks, masks that contour to the face better. There's the ability to add heated humidification to these units and that type of thing. So there's a lot more options for it, and it's made it a lot more tolerable for people where there used to only be one size fits all. Yeah. We have a caller, too, but I just went very quickly back in about yeah. 1995 or so. I was up in Nashville doing the all-night road gang show at the time. We had drivers could come into the studio because it was easy access. fellow was telling me about sleep apnea. I had no idea what that was. He said, well, I'm going to bring my stuff in. He brought in stuff, Dr. Cole. I thought he was going to do some welding, man. This gear that he had now. You can travel uh, with it. The actual device is small, compact. A lot of people can take it with them on flights if they're traveling commercially somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different world now for those that have thought about it, but said, yeah, I don't want to carry an extra suitcase around with a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, Butterbean is with us up in Missouri, and he's got a question on CPAP and water. And you're on with Dr. Cole, Butterbean. Good morning. Good morning, fellas. How y'all doing this morning? Fantastic. Doctor, I have a ResMed machine. I have forgotten to grab me an extra bottle of distilled water from the house. I've stayed out a little bit longer than I normally would. What other kind of water can I use besides this field? The only other way I can boil mother water is my microwave. So what other kind of water can I use besides this field that would be good for my ResMed? Sure. It's a great question. Well, the good news is since it's probably just you're temporarily out of it, I mean, you can even use something as simple as just a quote-unquote purified water, and the difference is relatively minimal. The good news now is that a lot of convenience stores and truck stops are cluing in that a lot of guys and gals are using CPAP and distilled water is recommended for them. So they'll end up carrying them on the shelves in gallon bottles or whatever. So they're a lot more accessible than they've been in the past. But I mean, if it's a matter of one or two nights, you can even use tap water. It's not recommended over a long period of time. It's not like suddenly your face is going to blow off or something if you use tap water. It's (laughs) mostly just to make sure that the upper airway stays moist. Because when you're blowing that cool, dry air, as you well know, it can get really irritating. So it's just designed to keep it moist. Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. Y'all have a good day. Thank you so much for being with us, Butterbean. Yeah. Sleep apnea is one thing, but there's also something else. As you mentioned, they did the study, about 28% or so of drivers have some level of sleep apnea. Narcolepsy is coming into the conversation more often. Is that because narcolepsy is becoming more common or it's just the next thing on the list, so to speak? Yeah, narcolepsy is a little bit more a concerning condition. I don't know that it's more common. It's actually a lot less prevalent than sleep apnea. It can obviously be quite dangerous if you're a driver because basically what it involves is episodes of sort of micro sleep or I'm actually falling asleep during the day while doing activities that are relatively monotonous. Now, obviously, driving can be monotonous if you kind of get into a situation where you're just out on the road and kind of just daydreaming out there. It can be quite concerning, and there are individuals who just fall asleep, and they're treated with various types of stimulants. Narcolepsy in and of itself is not something that we can easily get certified for a medical, but thankfully, it's a lot less prevalent. 
As far as sleep apnea, we had talked before about there's a variety of different treatments. Rather than stimulants, there's things, for example, especially for individuals that have mild sleep apnea, and that means less than, say, 10 of those apneic events per hour. They can do things like a special type of device that dentists can make called an oral appliance, or there certainly can be surgeries where for those individuals with short jaws, they can have what's called a mandibular advancement procedure. Typically, most of the recommendations by sleep disorder specialists is to use a non-surgical approach first. In the bad old days, good old days, whatever you want to call it, there used to be a procedure where you would take off the uvula and your tonsils in that. And the problem was, if it worked, it worked great. But in about 50% of cases, it didn't. And it caused sort of chronic pain in the upper pharynx. And that is not great. 50% of not working is not a great track record. Now, one of the other things I was just going to mention before we run out of time is there's these hypoglossal nerve stimulators. The brand name for those is Inspire. For certain patients that just no matter what you do, they can't tolerate CPAP or bidirectional positive airway pressure called BiPAP, they can benefit from that. It is a relatively small, specific population of folks that can use it, but basically it stimulates the hypoglossal nerve to help uh, trigger the breathing and to trigger opening the airway during deep restorative sleep. Of course, you have to be careful with it because there are some individuals that just won't tolerate it or it can cause issues because it's something that's implanted into the body. But but I do get a lot of questions about that. Hey, what about that hypoglossal stimulator, whatever that thing is? It but goes into the chests, kind of where a pacemaker might go? Yeah, think of it like a pacemaker for the back of the airway. Got it, got it. Wow, this went way too fast. I hope you feel the same way I know our listeners have. Can't wait for you to come back. Thank you so much for taking time with us, Dr. Cole. It means a lot. It really does. Oh, always a pleasure and happy to come back. We'll come up with another common health effect that we can discuss at another time. Sounds like a plan. Dr. Clayton Cole, everybody, from Mayo Clinic up in Rochester, Minnesota. Course director for Mayo's program to train healthcare providers how to perform medical certification exams for the FMCSA requirements. That closes out this edition of the Highway Health Podcast. We would like to take this opportunity to thank you once again for spending part of your day with us on Pod Wheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Now, folks, you can always find the Highway to Health podcast through Podwheels powered by Radio Nemo. And let's tell you about a few of the outlets where the podcast is available. You can listen to all of the episodes of the Highway to Health podcast through our website. Or you can subscribe to the podcast through all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. Just go to wherever you get your podcast and search Highway to Health. The Highway to Health Podcast is a production of Podwheels powered by Radio Nemo.